HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021, and we're recording remotely. So last June in 2020, we had a great show with Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest in Vermont and Catherine Kyle um, of Blind Tiger in New York City. And we talked about everything from Lawson's starting at one barrel all the way up to Sip of Sunshine. So this is kind of like episode two where we, there's so much going on with, with Sean at Lawson's and all these new releases that we really wanted to have a follow-up episode. So let's have each guest introduce themselves. Start with Sean. I'm Sean Lawson with Lawson's Finest Liquids in Waitsfield, Vermont. All right, Catherine. I am Catherine Kyle. I was the longtime general manager of the Blind Tiger, but have since just recently moved on. All right. So, um, Sip of Sunshine, you know, even, you know, talking about state distributions and where you can get it. You know, the last time we talked, we were talking about how it was just so hard to find and you guys worked out your, you know, your production and distribution. And just the other day I was at a a north of Boston at at a simple restaurant and I asked for an IPA and it was Sip of Sunshine in a can. So, um, that's, that just sums up, wow, th- this is the beer world we live in and what you guys have done. So why don't you just recap where you guys are at? Because you know, in my mind still, you, you know, Lawson's Finest is that hard to get beer, but now it's my go-to. Like I go to Westside Market in New York City, always have it. Well, thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate that and appreciate your support of our brand. And it it is much more widely available than it used to be. And I'm really excited by that. Uh, that was really what spurred the initial move to start contract brewing with uh, Two Roads Brewing in Stratford, Connecticut, now an alternating proprietorship, so we're the licensed brewer there as well in Stratford. And Sip of Sunshine over the past seven years uh, has gone from one state, we've started bringing it up to Vermont, to nine states all across the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And over the course of that time, we've um, not only expanded our distribution, but uh, increased our production quite a bit to make it regularly available for our fans. And it makes me smile so much. I'm so happy about the way that we've been able to achieve that 
uh, because that was part of the part of the motivation was saying having to say no all the time to the fans who were trying to track down our beer, wanted to buy our beer, and uh, just thrilled that Sip of Sunshine uh, has grown to be for a number of years running now our our number one flagship by far um, for Lawson's finest, and it's those yellow cans, those yellow Sip of Sunshine cans are really hard to miss and they've served us well in a pandemic having uh, a, a mix of uh, packaging that really f- favors cans and, and off-premise sales. Well, you know, the, the color of that packaging, it's a beacon of hope. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> when, when I see it, I know it. <laughs> there, there's no like weird graffiti on there that, that I'd have to read through the lines. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what, one thing I was learning about you guys, and I, I know Catherine's going to have a lot to say because you guys go way back. There's a special relationship in New York City. I know Blind Tiger was was the leader and, and you know, having so many new craft breweries over the years. Uh, I know Lawson's and Blind Tiger have a special relationship. Um, let's start talking about that because I, I just love the connection. There are special retailers and, and, and special on-premise accounts that really made a difference in in creating this craft beer movement that we now take for granted. Absolutely. I mean, our relationship with um, Sean Lawson and Lawson's, I don't even know when the first time we had your beer at the Blind Tiger. Do you know that, Sean? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I started in 2008, and it must not have been long after that because I met Dave Broderick even before Lawson's Finest was launched in a legendary story that begins in Greensboro, Vermont, which we won't digress into today. But Dave was immediately asking if he could get some Lawson's Finest uh, bootlegged down to New York City. So we worked out the property channels <laughs> to get the occasional keg. Um, first, I think it was for the VSK events, the very special keg events yep. that the Blind Tiger held. And it was really the only spot in New York City where our beer appeared for for a few years running. I remember once I was so impressed because I, you know, I was trying to get a keg for a VSK. And so we'd communicate. You're like, don't worry, I'll get it there. And you did. well that's part of the special relationship is when you have friends in business and you form uh, or forge new friendships um, and you have this shared passion around uh, quality high quality beer and creating memorable experiences for your customers your fans or your your guests whatever you know you choose to uh, call them that you'll go to extra lengths to really bring them something special Yeah. And it's always, I mean, that kind of effort is always so appreciated, not just by, you know, us at the Blind Tiger, but by all the fans. Like, you know, there's people who just, like you said, um, in the very beginning, you had to say no because you just weren't making enough beer to get to everybody. So when we're able to, you know, provide people something that they can't get normally, they're, you know, they're just so happy and, you know, so appreciative, happy, and they're having a great experience we're having a great experience and it just, you know, kind of furthers everything. But I wanted to congratulate you so much on your ability to go from, you know, such a small production to a much larger production while keeping your quality in check. And also, you know, really knowing that that's what's key to your customers is being able to get and drink your beer. So I think you've just done that in such a great, high quality professional way. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. I appreciate your recognition of the quality of our beer and how that is a challenge going from a very small artisanal production to 
to a scaled production and distributing it out across nine states. And we've remained really passionate about keeping the beer cold, keeping it fresh, and ensuring that the cans that are on the shelf available for customers have been uh, packaged within just a few weeks uh, of when they purchase it. Uh, And that has really helped us, I think, sustain the momentum that started um, 13 years ago. We just celebrated our 13th anniversary. Hard to believe. Wow. <laughs> That's so great. No big party this year, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, save it for 14. Um, Will do. Ka- Catherine, for, for you guys at Blind Tiger, you know, this with, with Lawson's and the whole Vermont thing, mm-hmm. you want to just like recap for us when people started noticing like the IPAs coming out of Vermont little 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 history of well so we used to do it an event um it was a vermont beer and cheese event actually is what it was and we had people i mean we had beers from the alchemist that you know we would we would get in a van and go around and basically pick up beer from you know the different um brewers that we had a good enough relationship with who trusted us to treat their beer well and pour it well so that they could have a good representation and it, you know, it was just kind of one of our little events where we had, you know, it was just fun, regional, and we had some contacts and that was great. And, you know, it was just a few years into doing that where it, it started to become more and more popular and the cheese part, you know, was always good, but it kind of, it kind of fell to the side because the quality of beers that were coming were just mind blowing. Um, so gosh, I don't even know what year that would have been but it might have uh, been like 12 years ago right yeah yeah right yeah. yeah and even longer i mean we've been doing that event for a long long time but when the quality i mean i remember i remember early on with that event it being a little bit of a struggle being like okay this beer's probably all right um you know and you make some choices where you're like you kind of just you hope that it's gonna be good but that stopped you know within like two or three years of doing that event because everything was just you know, every, everything that was being turned out was so high quality and so interesting. Yeah. And, and Sean, for you, just going back, you know, the early days, it was different than, you know, there were, I don't think breweries, most breweries had tap rooms and these top retailers and, and, and beer bar accounts were, were really the key to getting your beer out there. They were in each market that we uh, first entered we are wholesalers and and our brand we were able to be very selective with the accounts that we worked with um, who really understand craft beer and can assure us and we'd have confidence in them really taking um, excellent care of the beer ensuring that it always stayed cold and uh, paying really close attention to the freshness on it not getting a keg and then saving it for a special event that was going to be months later but ensuring uh, that they served it right away. And so that uh, that sort of cachet uh, that came along with getting Lawson's helped us both in that regard. And, uh, and, and it just, it was, it was part of the mystique of, of Lawson's Finest in the early days. That's amazingly even still continued because we do have some limited availability of our Vermont brewed beers um, that roll out into the nine state marketplace all over the Northeast, New Jersey, PA, New York, and New England um, throughout the year in limited amounts. And so there's still some of that mystique of you have to be in the right place at the right time um, to get some of our beers. You know, I, I watched a video with you, Sean, and you mentioned that there's a signature Lawson's Finest flavor that 
carries over even into the session beers? For the IPAs in particular, yes. And it was a combination of uh, the base malt that I really enjoy using, um, which is a North American pale malt and an American strain of uh, ale yeast, which is which originated from the classic Chico strain, what they call the Sierra Nevada strain. Mm. Um, and so it's like a commercially available strain, but it was a combination of that base malt, the water that we have that's very soft, low in mineral content, uh, brewer's dream to work with, and then the, the specific uh, variety of yeast that we use. And then that provides this beautiful canvas to work with uh, all the different flavors, aromas, and sensory uh, profiles of this amazing smorgasbord of hop varieties we have out there today to work with. So let's go into the beers that you're you're putting into a larger distribution now. So which one do you want to start with, Sean? Yes, please. <laughs> I know, me too. I know. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm cracking open a Super Session number five, which is our brand new release that's just come out in the last two weeks. And our Super Session series is a single hop IPA. Uh, that started back in 2015, uh, brewed in a s- sequential number, but we've confused our fans by picking and choosing different numbers in random order. Number five <laughs> is brewed with cashmere hops, and it is a beautiful rendition of this beer. The cashmere, as the name might suggest, it's a softer hop. It has a, a, a bit less aggressiveness to the bitterness, and it has these beautiful stone fruit notes, uh, melon and peach that I also get in there, as well as a little bit of coconut. Uh, and right in the middle of the palate, I get this sort of juicy, um, like tingling flavor on the side of my tongue on the, that it doesn't really correspond to any descriptive uh, palate uh, or, or kind of profile, but it, it's just this overall sensory experience that I get out of the beer. Um, fans are really excited about this one. It's just hit the marketplace and it's available in all nine states uh, in cans and four packs of 16 ounce cans and 12 packs of 12 ounce cans. I'm going to take a sip. Go for it. And Catherine, tell us like, you know, Blind Tiger has always been this all American craft beer bar. Um, are, are people like actually talking about the hops, like in this type of series? Would this oh, be a topic of conversation? One hundred percent. In fact, just as Sean was um, talking about that uh, tingly part that he gets on the side, I was wondering if it might be uh, something similar to lemongrass. Is it lemongrassy at oh, all? Yeah, I could I could pick up lemongrass in here. <laughs> Definitely. But that's I mean, the great thing about a really good beer bar is that's what people are talking about. They're talking about oh, this is a you know this is Lawson's single hop series and this is cashmere and. You know, they'll, I mean, it's the beauty of community because people want to know about it. They want to talk about it. They want to drink it and experience it. And, you know, it's so much fun to, you know, to, to be like, oh, wow, you know, I'm not really getting, you know, a whole lot of melon, but that peach is really coming to the fore or, you know, because everyone's a little bit different in terms of what they're going to taste. Um, but yeah, at, at the Blind Tiger and many other places, people are definitely talking about the hops and the hop profile. People are talking about malt profiles a lot more and yeast profiles are, you know, people, people are just getting deeper and deeper into the beer, which is wonderful. Oh, that's great. That is a great point that um, Catherine makes about um, the, that what each person experiences is a little bit different and it's, it's always right. Whatever your yeah. sensory experience is of a beer, you might not get peach or melon or coconut, 
but you might get uh, lemongrass and, and stone fruit. And so whatever it is, that's the right experience. And it's really fun to engage in a dialogue with the differences that um, different people get tasting the same beer, sitting together, sharing that experience. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that just makes me really love um, breweries and good beer bars is because there's always something to talk about. There's always something to learn. And, you know, in general, it's like that, you know, it's just so fun. It's, you know, it's so much fun to be engaged with the people that know stuff. And it's so much fun to be engaged with people who don't know anything that are just starting out because it kind of it reminds you of you know, when you started out and you, you, you start explaining things in a, a specific way and, oh, that doesn't work. They don't understand that. So you try to explain it in a whole nother way and they help you out and you help them out. Yeah. It's, it's just really great. So ca- cashmere hop, um, it, it, the name of it sounds really appealing, Sean. It's one of those hops described as sexy and it's an it's a newer hop variety um to tell you a little bit more about the series it's a 4.8 percent session ipa i don't think session ipas are quite as popular as they were a few years ago but the super session series is still going very strong for us our number two brand and the idea behind the series was to brew uh the same base beer uh same malt same profile uh, same ABV with each beer, but just to change one single ingredient, and that's a single variety of hops. So there's only one type of hops used in each uh, rendition. And so I ran through brewing a number of these uh, different beers up in Warren, Vermont at the original brewery and picked out the favorites for our production and distribution. And this is the very first time that number five is available uh, widely in distribution. Uh, previous to now, I just put it out in small batches up here in Vermont in, in bottles and, and in drafts. So now it's out there in cans for fans to enjoy across the Northeast, uh, which is really exciting for me. And then uh, the other one, the other uh, hop varieties um, that we've done so far in production. Number two is with Amarillo. Um, number four is with Centennial. Uh, number five, the current one is Cashmere. Six is Galaxy. So we're going to bring that one back uh, next year. We've only released it once before. Um, number eight is coming this summer. Uh, we've released that before. Uh, that's Mosaic. And number seven is Idaho 7. And then we have one more uh, new beer in store for this year for the final quarter. Uh, October, November, and December, we'll be putting out our Super Session number three brewed with Comet Hops for the very first time in production. Whoa, Comet Hops. I've never even heard of that before. It's another one of those new uh, hip hops. (laughs) A hipster hop. (laughs) Like, what is your process of making, you know, picking the hops for these beers? Um, Do you have a thing called the Wizard's Workshop? Or anything like that? That's the original brewery up in Warren. We call it now the Wizard's Workshop. We also have a one-barrel pilot system here in our brewery in Waitsfield. The production brewery in Waitsfield, Vermont, is about a 40-barrel system. It's 40 hectoliters, but we squeeze a bit more out. But we also have a one-barrel pilot system, and that's really where we do a lot of experimentation uh, with pilot batches. And so we've been running through a series of uh, pilots on the Super Session to see what we might add to the to the lineup for uh, next year and beyond uh, with a number of different experimental hops that don't even have names yet. And then some of the named hops that we've never tried using before. So what are some, like Catherine, what are some hops that people are asking for 
seemed like for a while people wanted those uh, like New Zealand hops. Yeah, for sure. The mosaic um, as well. And um, I don't I mean, right now people are really open to hops. I was actually going to ask uh, Sean what he, what his impression is about the Idaho 7. That's one. It's it's I don't know if you'd call it newer or not. It's been around um, for a little while, but it I feel like people are using it more and more. And I feel like that's one hop that almost everybody has a different experience with. Um, do you have an impression of that? Yeah, it's definitely a newer hop. It's been around for a few years, uh, but not very long. And I would describe it as polarizing. I uh -huh. love the hop profile on it, mm -hmm. uh, but I think why well, I would call it polarizing, it's one of those hops that people either really like or they really dislike it. Uh, and we did find that with our number seven. Thankfully, there are enough people that like it that <laughs> it was worth making that beer. But um, that's, that's the point of doing a single hop beer is to, yeah. you know, to really dig into it like that and find that out. <laughs> it's an educational experience as part of the idea behind the series is that it really highlights one single hop and you can pick out the nuances of it and really uh get the full essence and sensory profile of it. And then what I would describe as the aspects that people might not like about the flavor or sensory or aroma on Idaho 7 is uh, tobacco-like nature. It has a, some notes of tobacco. And I would say that it also has this um, dank uh, characteristic, like a very herbal, uh, strong, dank characteristic that's that's off-putting to some people um, it's not quite like catty like a chinook hop where it's a little people describe it as like cat urine or mm -hmm. cat piss i wouldn't describe chinook that way but i would call it dank um, it's very it, it has an earthy compel uh, component to it um, it's like fermented vegetation <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so wh what do you do to, to like capture the essence of a single hop when you're doing the the run of your you know beers for distribution, because it's not the same as just making a one barrel batch. Yeah, well, we try a different a, a number of different combinations with the super session. It's because there's only one hop in there. We just try. We've tried a number of different varieties over the year, over the years, and then um, you know sort of calibrate each one with the right hop amounts and then it the magic comes in scaling it up because it's not a linear process to go from one barrel to seven and then up to a hundred barrels down at two roads brewing um so that's where a little bit of the alchemy comes in and and some of it is 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 more artistic than scientific it's it's about marrying the numbers that are on the recipe and the amounts and the proportions to what you get back in sensory profile and, and for me it's either just it's just right or it's not just right so how do i adjust it does it need to be a little bit less bitter does it need more body does it need a little bit more sweetness and what i tried to do with this beer was to give people the impression of a american ipa which is more usually in that six to seven percent to have enough body in there so we layered in some specialty malts and put a bit of uh, carapils, a little bit of oats to give it a nice full mouthfeel, a nice full body that would balance out a nice charge of hops that would give you a full bouquet of aroma and flavor uh, in the glass. So it's a, it's an iterative process, Jimmy, where we go through um, a number of trials first and then tweak the recipe as we scale it up. Catherine, I, I know you have like five questions for uh, Sean, <laughs> so I want you, to, I want you to keep talking to him because. 
this is a real treat. We just have we have our favorite retailer and and one of our favorite brewers on the same show. Well, my first question is, um, what's going on with the tap house right now? Well, it feels like June this week. <laughs> it's been it was almost seventy degrees here in Vermont today. Wow! Uh, even though we're in March, and it's been sunny, bluebird weather uh, the last three four days. And uh, the snow has melted off outside uh, in the beer garden, and we're eager to get open. But you know, March and April in Vermont are quite unreliable. It could be, it will be snowing again this weekend. <gasps> so the tap, the tap room has been closed for inside service. We're still running a really robust uh, drive-through curbside program, mm-hmm. uh, both for our packaged beer and for uh, the food coming out of the kitchen. And we've expanded the menu nicely for our to-go foods to include more sandwiches and um, grab-and-go, nice varieties of of, uh, some wraps, uh, some grilled, our specialty grilled cheeses. Um, So that's going really well, and we're looking forward to the warmer weather coming soon. We know for sure we're going to open up the beer garden a little bit later this spring when we can depend on the weather. Mm -hmm. So um, once the weather really warms up dependably, Um, We'll reopen the beer garden for outside service. And then as the numbers improve and um, the state of Vermont and CDC give us more guidance that we can be fully open for inside service, that'll be the signal for us to bring folks back in uh, inside the tap room. But man, oh man, do we miss them. We miss seeing people in, in, in person and being able to cheers with them. So we know at the very least we'll be doing that outside uh, in the beer garden and not too, too long. That's great. Um, I, I was reading a little bit about your um, your family meals that you're also offering as the as a to go option. That's been fun for the kitchen to work out some recipes for um, a four top meal. At the end, they're generous portions. They serve more than four that you can uh, bring home and cook in the oven. And we focus that on the weekends as a ski season special. So that's going to be wrapping up soon. Uh-huh. But some really great creations. My favorite was. I think the shepherd's pie and the, <laughs> the two favorites, chicken pot pie, both pies. <laughs> the chicken pot great. pie was phenomenal. And um, and our folks in the kitchen, shout out to Cassie and Jenny in the kitchen for creating those meals, coming up with the and expanding the menu with the rest of the team working in the tap room um, to fit the to-go uh, model. Yeah, that's so great. It's so hard, you know, in, in this, you know, this past year to – First of all, figure out, you know, what you can do and then to, you know, kind of get out from under the stress of it all to come up with like the creative options that really fit with what's going on and, you know, your particular area with what you're able to do. So I really like the idea of those family meals. And, you know, I just feel like it it must feel great to like, you know, drive up and <laughs> make a shepherd's pie for the family and a bunch of beer. <laughs> you know, that just sounds great to me. So. I love that. And even better for me is I, I you know, got to do quality assurance and quality control. <laughs> so we've been having a family meal uh, from Lawson's Finest just about every weekend, uh, one night as well. That's perfect. That sounds great. Hey, Catherine, for you guys, um, I know it's been tough on, on all the New York City bars and restaurants. Um, do, do you want to update us what's going on at Blind Tiger right now? Sure. So, um the winter, of course, is uh, was pretty rough to get through, but the you know the staff is just I cannot tell you how amazing and um, so the you know the numbers were low, but we kept in contact with a bunch of 
you know, hyper-local regulars and that's, you know, everything's just become very hyper-local and we were able to open up at 25% capacity for a little while and we're just now moving to 50% capacity inside. And so that's, you know, we've got our barriers up, we've got all the social distancing, we take your temperature, we get your contact information um, for anybody who wants to be inside. But we also still have all of our outdoor seats. And now with the weather, you know, coming around, um, we weren't quite at 70, but we were in the 60s today. You know, it's, it's starting to feel like spring is coming. And the feeling is just so good, because you do start to see some people coming back. And, you know, the it, it just feels so hopeful. But I, I really do have to shout out to the staff there. Someone got a pedometer, a step meter, and someone says it's between 13 and 18 miles a shift that they walk. <laughs> wow. So going outside <laughs> to the, the outdoor, to the... the yeah. Yeah. Get, it's yeah a, to a the draft walk. system. Yeah. And our, our bar was designed exactly not for this. So <laughs> there's no short way <laughs> to get to where we pour the beer. You have to go kind of all the way to the back of the building and then back and loop around and then get out the front door and then get out all the way over to the side of the building. And that's, you know, maybe sometimes just for a beer. So it's, you know, it just I mean, everybody's just been so incredible. And, you know, we've been able to maintain a really great community of regulars, you know, during all of this. And, you know, it's um, like I said, it's starting to feel, you know, hopeful and the sun shining and um you know, you can just tell people are happier. There's more pep in people's step and, you know, a lot more smiles and a lot fewer people sitting there shivering. <laughs> so that's really mm -hmm. good. Well, it's that time of year for those bright colored cans from Lawson's Finest. <laughs> but um, hey, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be back in a few minutes and talk about the next beer from Lawson's on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're back with uh, Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest in Vermont and Catherine Kyle of Blind Tiger Alehouse in New York City. Um, Sean, uh, we're, we're tasting some of the, the new beers that you're putting out for distribution. Um, we, you tasted us on the, the sessions number five with the cashmere hops. What's the next beer that, that you're going to taste with us? I'll just say this, Jimmy. It's going to be a big year for Little Sip. <laughs> so Little Sip IPA is our newest addition to the lineup. It is available now just as of the 1st of March uh, throughout our distribution territory, uh, first in cans, but thankfully with places reopening for uh, both inside and outside service, especially as it gets warmer, um, in draft as well in the coming weeks and months. And it's a beer that is fashioned after 
uh, Sip of Sunshine, our number one beer. It's the little cousin to Sip of Sunshine. So we called it Little Sip IPA. It's brewed with um, almost the same recipe as Sip of Sunshine, but it's 6.2% alcohol rather than 8% alcohol, which the Sip of Sunshine comes in at. And it's really, uh, it's aligned well with outdoor lifestyle, but also more of an any occasion, a sip for every occasion type of beer. Because 8% alcohol, let's face it, is a, it's a, it's packs some punch to it. So uh, 6% is a bit more approachable. Um, some call it crushable. And it's uh, it, it, we're really excited about this beer launching out into the marketplace. It, I knew that we nailed the recipe when I sat down with a sample of Sip of Sunshine and Little Sip IPA tasted them side by side and they were nearly indistinguishable save for the difference in the body and the perceptible uh, alcohol that you get between a 6% and an 8% beer. Well, it, it's a welcome for the spring because last week when I was at this restaurant and I, and I had the sip of sunshine, I, I downed it and, and I, I hadn't had an 8% IPA at lunch in a long time. And I said, wow, man, this is a good buzz, but <laughs> I probably would have had two of the little sips if, if, if they had them there. It is definitely more of an occasion beer uh, as well as a lifestyle beer and a bit more approachable and uh, more than, more than one is, is not a bad thing. Absolutely. I, I love it. I used to say back before session IPAs, you know, came in and everything was, you know, 7.8, I used to say, I wish someone would make this beer and have it taste exactly the same, but come in right around 6%. <laughs> and I, I kept saying it and saying it. I, so I feel like I, I helped I helped make it come into fruition <laughs> because it was my dream. Um, and it still is. And Little Sip is delicious. That's the beer. Um, we had that for a tasting. Is that is that right, Sean? Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah, we uh, sent that down. We've been making it since last June um, mm-hmm. here in Vermont, and uh, we wanted to see how the reception in the market went here in Vermont. And then it became clear right away that this was a beer that we wanted to launch out into the wider marketplace. So we planned out um, getting the production up to speed and being able to uh, produce enough of this beer to get it out into all nine states. And Exactly to your point, Catherine, is that so many people have asked us for a beer like Sip of Sunshine, but maybe just a little bit less alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> they can only have one sip, or maybe a sip is an occasion where they're at home or it's after work, where uh, there's a time and a place for that. And there are more times and places, I think, for uh, a little sip. Not that it stops people from having a sip of sunshine. Uh, at the ski slopes, as I saw this weekend during during the day um, or other times, uh, but it is a bit more accessible, I think. Yeah. Well, it's great. I, I really love it. Yeah, for me, like six six something, you know, really full flavored IPA is has really been my go to for a long time now. Um, so I'm glad you're I'm glad you're doing it. It's it's really the right season for everybody. Um, just just I hate to go back just for COVID one more time. Um, Catherine, when you're talking about putting up dividers, my feeling is that a lot of places are starting to feel like old Victorian pubs where you have (laughs) those high dividers. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of like that because I remember for years, whenever I go to a restaurant or my places, people always wanted to sit in the cozy nook or or in in that um, 
you know, a little bench that, that has a high back or something. Sure, um, sure. Do you feel like this is a trend that's going to stick around? You know, it's so hard to say. It, I think a lot of it just depends on, you know, how the vaccine works and how comfortable people feel, you know, being closer together or not. It's, you know, I, I've, people are on both sides of this. They say, you know, as soon as the as soon as people have confidence that enough people have been vaccinated, it's going to be gangbusters. There's just going to be, everybody's going to be out. It's going to be all the crowded rooms all over again. And other people say, no, this is going to be a real shift in the whole culture where people are used to staying, you know, in their own separate spaces and people are going to be much more aware of, you know, the ability to spread germs back and forth and, you know, and, and just like you say, the whole comfort and coziness of having those little nooks and crannies. But I just, I, I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea what it's going to be like. I mean, it is interesting to see how everyone's, you know, adjusted to it and, you know, the different feelings that rooms have that you're used to feeling one way and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, this is different. Oh, I yeah, like but I, I was reading about some, yeah, some of the old Victorian pubs in the 19th century in England and, and they were like, yeah, like, it was like, it definitely was a class division, but they were like the people of a certain class got to sit in like a booth or a chamber that, that had more privacy. And then they were like, oh yeah, because we want to be separate from those others that might have disease. And, and, right. and more I'm noticing, I'm like, you know what, when I go out with my wife or something, we love to sit in a booth and I actually like the added privacy. So I'm feeling like that there, there might be a thing where there's sections that are just more private, not even for... Not even for fear of disease, but just that I think it's very intimate, you know. Sure. So who knows? Maybe there's new new design coming. Um, and maybe both of them will happen, but just in different spaces. Yeah. And wh what about for tap rooms, Sean? Have, have you guys kind of re envisioned uh, what your tap rooms might be? You know, we haven't reached any conclusions yet, but I, but I think that we may move more towards a uh, a, a reservation model or a seated. Uh, table service model. So prior to COVID, we had uh, a self-serve model. So you go up to the bar, you order your beer, you order food at the bar, you get a little buzzer and you go, you know, the tables are all just first come, first serve. And what we pivoted to with COVID was a whole new reservation system. We never had reservations before. It worked really well uh, with our beer garden to, uh, it's more of I don't know if you want to call it social engineering, but it provided sort of the space and the comfort level that people needed to know that there would only be a certain number of people there and that mm -hmm. there would be the right spacing. And I do think as we move into more of a full reopening, that being able to modulate the capacity of the space that we have available inside is an important factor. And on the weekends, especially during peak seasons of summer and during the ski season in the winter, fall foliage, you know, we would reach capacity on Saturdays regularly. And it, it can get, I wouldn't say it's uncomfortable, but it's close. You know, you need to be comfortable really being close to other people. And I think having some, a bit more structure to the way that we manage capacity will be a part of the equation going forward. But like Catherine had said, I'm with you. I just don't know exactly what people, what it's going to look like, what people are comfortable with. Uh, but we're working on a couple of different models and scenarios um, for reopening inside that will, um, you know, be aligned with depending on what our capacity is and, and what 
how far open uh, Vermont is uh, as far as capacity and other restrictions. Yeah, and let's put that behind us. <laughs> we're yeah, so, we're so, so ready for so eager. They're so <laughs> eager to get beyond this. Twenty twenty one. I want a little sip. <laughs> That's what I want. Hey, yeah. and what's cool is you, you have that locator, don't you? That's really helpful. You know, there's apps and things, but I really like when a brewery has a way on their own site to locate the beer. How how long have you how long have you had that on on your site? We, we've had a, a find our beer or where to buy our beer on our website for quite a while, but we recently launched a new website uh, this past fall that brought us <laughs> into the present age. So it's a huge upgrade on our old website and the beer finder got a really nice upgrade. Um, it's integrated with VIP, which interestingly enough is an industry standard in the beer industry. And VIP stands for Vermont Information Processing. So mm-hmm. somehow this little company in Vermont got a foothold in um, the beer business to gather data. And it's all about depletions and distribution. And it's the standard for distributors across the country. It's where data is aggregated about where beer is sold from distributors. And suppliers use that information um, to really help them out in making decisions about where to focus effort and where beer is selling, where it's not selling. And so the beer finder that is on our website, it's integrated with VIP to uh, tell customers where beer has been delivered. Uh, at accounts, whether they're bars, restaurants, or retail stores in the last 30 days. And you can uh, search by individual brand, you could search by all brands, you could search by uh, a radius uh, based on a zip code, and it'll it'll pull up all the individual accounts on a, on a Google map style interface uh, that will show those accounts. So it's a, it's a nifty feature on our new website, because that's one of the number one questions we get is where can I buy your beer? Yeah, and it's it's great because like just right now I put in my zip code and I'm you know there's three you know <laughs> right here you know walking distance, and it not only says you know um, the oh you can find Lawson's beer here, it says at Stella and Fly you can find Little Sip sip and Sip of Sunshine IPA like it tells you the specific beers which I think is fantastic. It's a huge improvement from where we were before, and it's uh, really exciting that the technology works that way. Um, it's a plugin, so it pulls the data right from VIP uh, to keep it uh, live and, and in real time. Yep. Whole Foods says Sip of Sunshine. <laughs> City Swigger <laughs> says Little Sip, Sip of Sunshine, and Super Session number two. <laughs> well, thank you for that plug there, Catherine. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's there now, because sometimes no. they might have gotten a delivery, but it's all gone. Sure. Uh, but sure. We're, we're doing really well with keeping the beer on the shelf and keeping it fresh out in the marketplace. Yeah. Even with the challenges of the last year. But it's great too for the, you know, for the, um, for the accounts because, or the, you know, the places that are selling it and pouring it, because even if they have run out, like, you know, just looking at it, like I, in fact, I forgot about Stella and fly and I've bought a sip of sunshine from them before. And they're just this little place that's, you know, it's just a little further than I normally go, you know, from my neighborhood. And so just even seeing their name and being like, that's right. That's when Cole and I were on a walk and he wanted a beer. And I said, well, let's go in there. I think that's sip of sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So So Catherine, I have a question for you. So Looking ahead, looking forward into the future, 
you know, what do you what are you looking forward to and what do you what do you think is next on your horizon as you look towards the future? My personal horizon? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, um as I alluded to in the beginning, um, COVID changed a whole lot of things here in New York City. So I am no longer um, the general manager at the Blind Tiger. And that's a huge change for me. Like I've been at the Blind Tiger since 2007 or eight, And I've been the general manager from 2011 to 2020. And now I'm just, you know, I decided to just take a pause and try and, you know, assess what direction I want to go in. And, um, what I've been working on though, is my memoir. <laughs> awesome. I have a really interesting family background involving polygamous Mormons and all kinds of stuff. And so I, you know, so hey, I've been pre- focused. Pre-order time. I'm pre-ordering. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I've been really, I've been workshopping it and really working on it. So that's what I've been focused on right now. But I'm just kind of letting some time pass and working on, you know, like that, like my, you know, passion project because I have the time. And also, I just don't know how the industry is going to look like looking into the future. It's really hard to tell. And I'm not sure, you know, what, what I would like my role to be in it. And so I'm just more about, you know, being positive, positive forward action and, you know, um, working on things that I care about. And I feel like, you know, in a few months, things will be a lot more clear about what kind of opportunities there are, as well as, you know, where my specific energies are focused. But thank you for asking. That's very nice. <laughs> well, then to, to, to follow up with that, add in where do you think beer's going? <laughs> for where do I think beer's going? Yeah, Again, for you. It's, it's just it's it's impossible to know. It's just I feel like right now all the decisions that are being made about, you know, which beers to buy, which beers to pour, how many lines to have, like all of that is just in so much flux and people are so starved for social interaction. But, you know, there's a pandemic going on. And so I feel like there's so many like countervailing forces that like I just I don't know what's going to happen in beer. <laughs> I mean, it's I, people love beer and beer will always be there. But, you know, it's beer heading more towards session stuff. It, you know, beer was already hyper local you know, before the pandemic and the pandemic has necessarily made it in some ways much more hyper local because it's just your neighborhood places. But also the big breweries have been able to get into, you know, a lot of the package stores. So that has changed a little bit of the variety that's available. And I, you know, I just don't know how, how it's going to go. Sean, for you, how do you define beer? Because there's a lot of conversation now that, that there's breweries that are making beer for people who don't like beer, you know, like weird flavors or hard seltzer. Um, but how do you define beer? Because, uh, I love beer. (laughs) That's what I was. How do I define beer? I like beer. (laughs) (laughs) And I think of beer as those four key ingredients of malt, hops, water, and yeast. And yet you've got this amazing array of different choices now that keeps growing of uh, for each one of those and how you even how you manipulate your own water profile, but I I think of beer as uh, a really a relaxing beverage that really it's helped me get through the pandemic. I don't know about you, but <laughs> definitely uh, being, you know having a beer or two at the end of the day 
um, a lot of days or or three, it's it's really helped. Uh, it's really helped to ease the tension and the anxiety and the uncertainty. So there's a lot of comfort there. You know, for us as a brewery. One of the things that's been, I think, a part of our success is staying true to brand. So while um, we innovate as a brewery in certain ways with our with our process, our technique, and the way that we bring beer to market, uh, we're not we're not out there innovating in crazy ways uh, with flavors, uh, adjuncts, different, you know, new really new trends or styles that's not really what we do as a brewery and it works really well for other people. And what has worked really well for us is really staying true to brand is a bit more of a, a classic approach to, I would describe it to, to brewing. And there there's merit to both because you see fans lining up um, pre pre pandemic for um, some really innovative uh, styles, techniques, and, you know, beers that cross sort of like, expand your the, either the the bounds of beer or really push beyond beer or what some people might say oh that's not beer i don't i don't really take that that track i i just stay focused on what we're making and what our fan what resonates with our fans and and staying true to our sort of core vision and the types of beers that i make uh, has worked really well for us. I'll just add that it's really funny because we're Sip of Sunshine is one of those beers that people have referred to as one of the original, uh, like New England IPAs, uh, mm -hmm. but it, you know, or hazy IPAs, and it has a, a little bit of haze. But what people thought of as hazy seven or eight years ago <laughs> is not what people would call hazy today. No, it's crystal Today's clear. Today's hazy is <laughs> opaque. It looks clear. It looks almost bright. Now, a classically trained brewer would not call Sip of Sunshine bright. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's certainly not filtered. It's certainly not crystal clear. It does have some haze to it, but that was considered hazy some years ago. And we've really stuck to that style. Some of our beers are hazier than others, uh, but really most of them are are at least, um, you know, they, they look pretty clear compared to today's uh, New England or Juicy and Hazy IPAs. Isn't it funny how just the context changes everything like that? Because it's true. It's like when, you know, when that, um, when, when the, um, the early haze beers came out they were so hazy but you could put them next to anything now and it's they're not they they don't seem hazy they are but they don't seem hazy not, yeah they don't seem hazy at all <laughs> i remember i was i don't know if i told this story the last time but i was on vacation and a new brewery that was putting out you know hazy beers and it was and they were just starting they it was they they went a year putting out clear beers and they just started putting out hazy beers and someone put a picture of it on our Facebook page. And I was in California and I saw that picture and I was like, oh, that brewery is going to be mad. That's, you know, that's like the yeast at the bottom of the barrel. Like that's 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 not how they want their beer to look at all. Come to find out that's exactly how they want their beer to look and everything was just right. But it was just, you know, it was just such a weird change where, you know, what was always considered very not proper before became what everybody wanted to make in their beer but yeah I, I mean where where you guys stand is just the perfect place where it's like the the flavor profiles and the mouthfeel and everything is just so it's it's at the same time classic and current and that's just such a hard balance for any brewery to have and that's not even really what you're going for it's just sort of innately what you are so 
Thanks, Catherine. Well, Jimmy, if you don't mind, I, can I say a couple of words about our maple triple? Because when you ask about, you know, what do you think of as beer and how do you define beer? The maple triple is probably the one beer that uh, we make this time of year that it stretches my idea of beer the farthest because we make that beer with concentrated maple sap, replacing the base, the, the water in the beer. So this is sugaring season up in Vermont with the alternating freeze-thaw cycle during the day and the night. Um, the sap starts flowing in the maple trees. The sugar makers gather it up and boil it down and concentrate it to about 67% sugar. And that's that beautiful sweet stuff we put on our pancakes. I love to put it in my coffee. And uh, I take the sap, I work with a sugar maker who concentrates it down to about 15% uh, sugar, there were like 15 Play-Doh for the brewers out there. And that's the starting point for the beer. That would be a finished, uh, that would be a starting gravity for fermenting for a lot of beers. But that's what I use to mash in with. And then I add in all the grains and brew a beer with that. And then I age it in uh, maple liqueur barrels for a year and then blend it up with some of the fresh beer uh, that I brew the following year. And that to me is really that's kind of the farthest I think I've expanded my own idea of, of what beer is by making, replacing water with concentrated maple sap. So that's been a fun project for us over the years. And it, it's, it's got us a lot of accolades and I'm, I'm thrilled to keep making that beer. And we still only make it seven barrels at a time because it's such a labor of love. Didn't that win a World uh, Beer Cup Award? Uh, oh, was it when the CBC was in Philadelphia? Yeah, we've won at the World Beer Cup three times with that beer, um, two silvers and one bronze. And uh, we've won at the Great American Beer Fest in the specialty ale category one time as well. So that's one of the beers I'm most proud of. And interestingly enough, probably the farthest outside of what you would think of as kind of classic beer or true to brand to us includes unique maple beer. So yeah. I guess that's true to brand for Lawson's Finest here in in Vermont. Actually, a quick New England thing, for, just digress. So you're talking about reducing sap. Uh, I have a friend, he's up in Massachusetts. He he has maple trees in his yard, and he um, he reduces it different levels for different things, just, just in their, their kitchen at home. But he also tapped a birch tree, and I, I got to taste it. The sap really tasted just like water um, from a birch tree. I don't know if you've, you've experienced experimented with different saps no i haven't yet but that's an interesting idea <laughs> that was it that, that, that was that was this one special moment and i was like oh my god he's controlling like how how sweet the maple syrup is by boiling at different times and stuff so it's pretty cool I, I love that you're doing that with with your beers but that beer is that an only vermont beer that is a beer that's only available here in Vermont. We sell it out through our tap room uh, and our uh, retail store at the drive-through. Right now, we've got um, two different vintages or, or years, bottling years available in a specialty gift pack, and we bring it to special events. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's one of those limited release beers because there's only about a hundred cases of it uh, that I make a year. It's kind of like a, a small winery offering <laughs> and more, more sad vermont a few years ago at one of our beer events uh, a chef who had been working at a, a a maple farm uh he cooked a pig in sap have you ever had had yes. that before i have not had that before 
No. So you just boil it and sap, and it didn't reduce, so it wasn't a sweet sap, but it definitely it scented the entire pork with maple. It was really wonderful. Uh, Catherine, you had a question. Oh, I, <laughs> I was just going to ask Sean if I think uh, Maple Triple won um, uh, the World Beer Cup that year when we were there with Jen Schwartman from Fluid yeah. State, yeah. and we had you um, – you, I don't know, you brought a whole bunch of beers for us to drink during the ceremony and where we were sitting just happened to yeah. be so many people winning their categories. And we had so much fun just sitting there being like, it's winner's circle. Yes, <laughs> there were lots that? of hoots and hollers. And I think, <laughs> I think Jen went up to collect a, the, the beer award for another brewery that wasn't attending. Oh, I think uh, so. From, Calif- maybe from California Maybe bag, bag B, maybe? Uh, faction, maybe yeah. Faction. Or, or yeah. Who knows? Be bag yeah, that was that was so much fun, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, so much fun. Well, we look forward to getting back to those gatherings when uh when we're able. We'll see if uh the the uh, Brewers Association can pull off the uh Craft Brewers Conference this fall in September out in uh in Denver. Um but Jimmy, could I give a shout out to a couple of beers that are coming up for the spring and summer yes, season um that we're not tasting today, but fans can look forward to that will be available um in New York City and beyond throughout the nine states we distribute in. Um we've got our Scrag Mountain Pilsner. I'm sitting in my office and looking out at Scrag Mountain, mm-hmm. uh, which is right here in Waitsfield that supplies the water to the brewery here. And so our Scrag Mountain Pilsner is a beautiful Czech inspired uh, classically styled Pilsner comes in four and a half percent alcohol, and we'll have that out in both in twelve and sixteen ounce cans and in draft uh, this summer. Uh, actually, starting in May, and then what's really fun is last year we did a version of this beer that we affectionately called here at Lawson's Finest the Scragarita. <laughs> and it's brewed, it's brewed with lime and salt. Um, it makes a great beer cocktail mixer if you're going to do a, a, a margarita-style beer cocktail. And that inspired the Scragarita moniker. But it's all our salt, our salt and lime uh, Scrag Mountain Pilsner. And that'll also be out um, for a shorter run in May and June because we hand peel uh, fresh Florida limes as they're coming into season in the late spring. Uh, to go into that beer when we finish it off in the bright tank. And then, uh, but even before that, um, starting next month in April, we're bringing a nice, uh, another really nice approachable beer. Um, that's one of the Lawson's finest originals to the market. And it's our knockout blonde. And yes, that is Karen Lawson, my wife, uh, co-owner and uh, partner in crime uh, on the can in her convertible uh, with the hair waving behind her and the hops flying behind the car. The packaging, we have a lot of fun with the packaging. There's a little whimsy in each of it. So that's coming to the marketplace in uh, April. And if fans out there want to see what's coming for the rest of the year, they can visit our website at lawsonsfinest.com to see the 2020 beer calendar, um, which will round out with a couple of IPAs um, over the summer, the fall, and the last part of the year um, with a with a trifecta ramping up from our Hopsalot American IPA um, coming uh, for 4th of July, our Kiwi Double IPA, which features New Zealand hops in the fall, and then a very special release of our Triple Sunshine uh, for the Christmas and New Year's uh, 
uh, holidays. So Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's holidays at the end of the year. So that, uh, that sounds like giving. a great holiday beer. Triple <laughs> sunshine. Ten point five. We turned the we turned the volume up to ten point five on that one, Jimmy. Ten and a half percent alcohol. Wow, Catherine, you want to wrap it up? I was just going to say, what a great lineup that is. That just sounds so delicious. It makes me want to go to Vermont every month. <laughs> we'll, we'll be, you'll be able to get them there in, uh, in New York because they're, oh, they're going out to all nine states uh, uh, during those time frames. So oh, that's fantastic. Excited, excited to bring those limited releases out to um, fans across the Northeast. That's fantastic. Um, real quick, what are the nine states? Um, so we're in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, the entire state of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And hopefully hopefully that adds up to nine. <laughs> I didn't count, I, but I, I think so. That's All great. of New England, New York, New Jersey, and PA. For some New York kids will be like, I didn't know there were that many states in New England. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. This has been a ray of hope, guys. Thank you so much again. Last summer, we talked about the background of Lawson's Finest, and I was really happy that Catherine Kyle of Blind Tiger and Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest got to come back and go a little deeper. He really had some great conversations to say. I want to give a shout-out to our team, uh, engineer Armin Spengen and producing intern Caroline Fox. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.